Welcome to the section of our podcast we call In Conversation With, where we sit down with sports industry experts, women in sports and thought leaders and pioneers within the industry. My name is Lorraine and I'm joined by my co-host Patricia. Together with our amazing guests, we'll be discussing working data-driven, increasing visibility for women in sports, and leveraging tools such as a sports customer data platform to propel your sports organization to the next level. So without further ado, let's meet our guests. From working extensively in sports management, ticketing strategy, event production, and coordination with events such as the Davis Cup, to founding the Spanish Ticketing Association and being a lecturer at the EU Business School for the MBA and BA programs of the EU Virtual Campus, our next guest has quite the impeccable profile. Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Lorraine. It's great to be here. I'm very excited about the talk that we're going to have. We are also very excited to have you here. But before we dive right into things, we like to start off with an icebreaker. Are you up for that? Yeah, yeah, I'm up for that. Perfect. What's your favorite quote, expression, or motto, and why is it your favorite? Okay, so I'm going to say it in Spanish first. Uh, my favorite quote is, el que la sigue, la consigue. And I had to look the translation up, okay, a long time ago. Uh, and it's, when there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, basically, for me, this is, uh, what I stand for. I think if you try hard enough, you're always going to get an answer, a result. Uh, and I like to stick by this phrase all the time. That is a really great phrase and uh, timeless and applicable in so many different uh, situations. So that's really, really great. Um, so Julia, you're currently working as ticketing director at uh, FIH Hockey Women's World Cup Teresa uh, 2022. And ticketing is quite an important part of sports, but it's still rather a very niche part of sports. Uh, so how did you end up working in ticketing? Uh, was this a specific dream of yours or did just um, things unfold in this direction for you? Well, I've always wanted to work in sports. I don't know if ticketing was my specific dream. It definitely was not. I, I didn't even know what ticketing was, um, but I always wanted to work in the sports industry. So I think like most of my colleagues, uh, Lorraine mentioned before that I, I founded the Spanish Ticketing Association. Like most of my colleagues that I know from the ticketing world, we've all landed here by chance. We started working in the sports industry. They needed someone to do the ticketing wherever we were at. And all of a sudden we started, or in my case, I started focusing more on ticketing, learning more about ticketing and realizing that this is something that has to be professionalized and that when we professionalize it, we get better results, right? So I've been doing ticketing for, I'm going to say 11 or 12 years now, uh, or maybe a little bit more. And it's been, it's been great because I've been learning as I work and that has been very exciting. But once upon a time, you were a tennis player. So you were on the court playing, but your role is off the court now. And you have indeed worked with a few tennis championships, such as the Davis Cup, as mentioned before, and Valencia Open, helping them with their ticketing. 
But studies show that most athletes struggle with this kind of transition, especially when the transition was almost forced on by an injury. So how was that experience for you, transitioning from being on court to being behind the scenes working in ticketing? Well, I mean, I, I've played tennis my whole life since I was four years old. So when I was growing up, I actually never imagined a world without tennis. Uh, and, you know, when you have a, a dream of becoming a professional athlete, you, you don't think it's ever going to not happen, right? So I always had this dream. But the truth is, I, I of course, did have an injury. But I don't think the injury was the real, the real issue with me. It's just I realized when I was 19 years old, I, I wasn't good enough, which, which, is, which is a hard, a hard thing to realize. It's, it's just I wasn't going to be able to make a living out of tennis uh, the way you have to make a living out of it, right? Uh, so, so I decided to change my view. And, and I said, OK, tennis has given me everything since I was four years old. And now I want to change to still working in tennis. In the beginning, I only thought it was going to be tennis. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to, to work in many other sports. But I decided if tennis had given me so much, it could still give me in another, from another point of view. So I think my transition was good in the sense that I quit tennis before I started hating it. Because what happens with many athletes is that the sport burns you, right? And when it burns you, once you stop, you, you don't want to know anything about it. You don't even watch tennis on TV, right? And, and this was not my, this was not my, what happened with me. So I did a nice transition. And what I did was start studying. Uh, of course, I needed to go to college, right? Because I was still young. Uh, study sports management, try to get into sports agencies and, and work my way, my way from there. Wow, that's really, that's really profound that you would have that, uh... I don't know that insight to do it and such at such a young age as well to to know when to quit and to actually admit to yourself that you're not good enough i don't think we ever talk that much about oh what if you're not good enough you know because it's like when where there's a will there's a way so we kind of push and push and push so it's quite refreshing to to hear that take actually but um what key differences have you noticed when it comes to being on the court versus working off the court I think when when you are an athlete, um, I I've never I, I was never a, a top athlete, but but I, I see it on on my daily on my daily life. When you when you're an athlete playing in the top of the game, the world revolves around you, and I think when you are behind the scenes, you respect every hard work that is behind what happens in in the front of the scenes. Like you respect and you and you acknowledge what everybody's doing, so these athletes can have this amazing career, these amazing lives, right? And I think that's what you what that's what you see when you when you are working at an event. It's is all these people, right? Because in an event, uh, there's one thousand, two thousand, three thousand workers, right, uh, doing everything they can, so so the athletes can have this amazing life. So I think. Uh, that's what you acknowledge the most, the hard work behind what people see on TV. I mean, very interesting. And also like getting to getting your insights, you know, basically behind the scenes, all the work that you need to put into that. So when it comes to your career so far, your journey, what would you say are the greatest challenges that you have stumbled upon so far? Well, 
I'm going to say every event uh, has its challenges. I'm going to say that maybe all the hours that you put into and then knowing that you're, you're doing your best, but sometimes the results are not what's expected or sometimes things happen because, of course, working in events, what happens is that it's, it's unpredictable. You know, you can have a, rain, a rainy day and have to cancel a marathon. You can have a heat wave and have to cancel. We had two years of COVID and had to cancel everything. So I think every event brings its challenge and you have to know how to handle it so it doesn't affect you, so you can rise up. I think this is this is what happens in, in the sports industry. You need to be able to understand that anything can change at any moment. And you don't know the results of what's going to happen in, in a tennis match or in a football match or, or, in, a, or in a hockey game. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to win. The only thing that you can control is what the work that you do and try for it to be the best possible. And I think that's how it works. Cool. So basically, you have to be flexible, perseverant, and uh, adapt to the situation. But of course, on the flip side, I'm sure you've had many highlights throughout your career as well. So um, would you like to share some of those? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, we have a, a lot of highlights. And, and I have to say that now that I'm working in the Hockey World Cup, one of the biggest highlights was that on July 3rd, we had, it was the third day of the event and we had a full sold out. Uh, and this was amazing. I mean, for me, my highlight is when I can be at an event and see that people are happy, that, that people that go to the stadium are happy, that you did a good customer service, that you treated them well, and that they are having a, a great experience. And for, yeah, it was very exciting to see a women's World Cup of a maybe minority sport in so in many countries uh, have a, a sold out stadium with with seven thousand people uh, just enjoying enjoying their day. So yeah, I mean, I think this is what what makes me love my job, right? Uh, being able to have these little moments when you see that people reunite uh, for this for the love of sports uh, and the passion that sports brings. When you speak about hockey as being a minor minority sport, it reminds me of women being a minority within the sports industry. You are a woman working right at the top in ticketing. What has that experience been like, especially since there aren't that many women at the top of the sports industry? First of all, thank you uh, for saying that I'm at the top of the sports industry. I, I hope I am. Uh, I work really hard for it. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, when I started working in sports, back when I was 19 years old, so this is almost 20 years ago, when I decided to, to do this, back then I didn't think about it. I didn't think about the challenges of being a woman. I, I really thought I owned it, that I deserved it, that I had worked hard for it and it was mine. I entered this industry uh with this mindset right and and of course it's been hard and now when i look back sometimes i remember some stories uh the things that happened that i think wow this this really happened because i was a woman you know that maybe some 
boss would tell you something that they wouldn't tell a man to do things like this uh, back then i didn't give it much thought of course now i would i would totally stand up for it but definitely there's challenges because i still think that and i and i think this is in most areas women are still not respected as as men are and and we have to fight with this every day and when there's industries where there's more women maybe it's easier because you have more uh, and you have a group effort but it's true that in the, in the sports industry there's still not a lot of women and and we have to be more to maybe fight more right so yeah of course uh challenges every day yeah i mean the, it's the very reason why this podcast exists you know why we were so passionate about talking to women in sports because just so much more needs to be done yeah definitely and um I mean, you have over 20 years of experience in this industry, so you have seen a lot so far and there's so much more, of course, to see and so much more to be done, like you said. But what would you say have been some of the industry changes that you have seen uh, that have made you very excited about the future of sports? I'm gonna, what I'm going to say now is, is, is going to make me look older than I, than I, than I am. But... I started selling tickets at some events with like a ticket uh, with physical tickets that you would cut out, give out and get the money. And at the end of the day, count the little tabs that you had to know how much money you had made. Right. So, I mean, we've gone a long way. Um, I think COVID helped a lot in the technology part um, because it, it accelerated technolo technological issues that hadn't been accelerated in sports. What, what happens is, I think, sports, at least in Spain, where I work most of the time, is a little bit behind, let's say, the music industry, right? Because our, our fans are older, more traditional. People still like the hard ticket. People still like to come to a ticket box to purchase tickets. And we needed to have a technological breakthrough. And it was difficult because technology needs investment and COVID forced this, this technological breakthrough. So for me, it's exciting to see how we can start getting to know our client more through technology, which is, I think, at least in ticketing, the most important thing. We need to know our clients and the best way to know our clients is through technology. So, yeah, I mean, sports, uh, the technology technological part is, is very exciting and I also think now that we're talking in this podcast uh, and it's great that you have it really um, seeing how women's sport is growing I think this is very exciting as well because we're gonna have more more to watch right and and, and this is really good it's just like you said I mean from COVID being something overall bad so to say the good that came out of it was the digital innovation and that it sped up the process, like you said, and that has been uh, really beneficial when it comes to ticketing and improving it overall. So that's really exciting. Um, but is there anything that you would say that hasn't changed that you think that you want to see changed in the sports industry so far? I mean, I, I definitely would, would want to see people going to sports not as a core fan but as an overall entertainment experience so i think 
what happens in, 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 in our industry is that we focus a lot on our core fans, the people that follow our team, the people that follow uh, our player, our country, etc. But we don't focus the experience on a person that maybe doesn't know anything about this sport, but should go there to live an experience. Like, like you would go to a museum, like you would go to maybe a, a, the theater or the movies, right? You, you don't know if you're going to like uh, that, that museum or if you're going to like that movie, but you go anyway. And I think in sports, I mean, in, in the States, they do this very well, right? They, they treat sports like pure entertainment. But in other countries, we, we treat it as, as only the game. And I think we need to go beyond the game and, and give fans an experience that's 360, that they can enjoy, and that maybe this will go uh, take them to the other side, right? They will take them to becoming a core fan. And I think this is something that we really have to work in. We have to change what we offer our, our fans. Hmm. Absolutely. And I think that maybe even what you're talking about will help with the retention of sports um, fans and the retention of um, just young people actually liking sports, because statistics show that young people are just, they just don't like sports the same way that maybe the older generation or the previous generation would have liked it. And I think the entertainment element of it, and when you think about boxing in America, for example, it's one of the fastest growing sports purely because it has that entertainment element with YouTubers often hosting, um, like battling each other and stuff like that. So I think that, yeah, you're onto something there that we really need to move beyond just, in a way it's like we're preaching to the choir, you know, you're telling your own core fans that they should support you, but they already do. So maybe trying to reach those that don't support you is is something that will future-proof sports, you know? But um, just to take it a, um, a step back and go back to talking about ticketing, ticketing is a very important aspect in sports. This is actually an area our company focuses on because there's a great need for better technology and more knowledge on this. And you touched upon this a little bit about the technology and how we need technology to really just push the level of games and attendance and all that kind of stuff. But what tips can you give sports organizations such as clubs, federation, leagues and so on on how they can sell more tickets because everyone wants to sell tickets. So how can they do this? Okay. Uh, first of all, I think this is this is uh, probably a little bit basic, uh, but first I think we need to understand that we no longer compete against the same sport in the same city or against other sports. We compete against everything. We compete against entertainment in general. So. When you are doing pricing for an event or in a club for a game, you need to be very precautious of how you do your pricing because you were mentioning my millennials and, and what happens with young people is that, or, or, or old people as well, everybody, right? We, we have a budget, we have an expense budget. And what happens is that we spend it however we want, right? And maybe we don't have a big budget, so we spend our money in Netflix, maybe we spend it in the movies for dinner, etc. So when we do pricing for an event, I think first thing we need to understand is we compete against entertainment in general, against whatever people want to spend their money in, right? And then and then this means that we can't assume anymore 
with, with some exceptions, of course, but we can't assume anymore that we can have these really, really expensive prices. I, I think we're beyond that. I think we need to have a full stadium. So for me, it's, it's, it's basically math. I mean, if I have my prices set at 10 and I only feel half of the stadium, maybe I'd rather have my prices set at five and fill the whole stadium. Because when you bring more fans in, then they're gonna be, well, it's gonna look better for the players or for, for the teams. It's gonna be, be look better in TV, if you have TV. And of course, these people are gonna generate more revenue because they're maybe gonna buy some drinks or some food or some merchandising, right? So I think this is the, the first thing that we have to focus on. It's is to understand that we have a lot of competition out there, right? Um, I, I remember back in the day, you would set prices just thinking about your competitors that were similar to you in, in format. And, and this is not the case anymore. Um, so this would be one of my tips. I always think that you have to think about your, your fans uh, first. So you have to think first about them before thinking about your budget and your money and how much money you want to make. Because if you think about yourself and not think about them, it's not going to work. I think, let's say, I have a family that's coming. If I have my tickets at 50 euros and it's a family with two kids, are they going to be able to spend 200 euros to come to my event? They're not even going to be able to buy a Coke, right? So I try to think about the people that will come and focus more on them rather than on myself, myself being the event, right? I, I think this is one of the main things that I try to think about when I, when I think of pricing. I mean, maybe a listener was thinking, well, if you're thinking about the fans before you think about yourself, then how how are you going to make money? <laughs> you know, and I think you kind of touched on it that you can you can re um, generate revenue through other means as well. You know, you can do it. Nowadays, we have OTT, so you can do like on demand viewing type of thing. You can sell merchandise. And you also said that you can also, um, you know, in, in stadium purchases when they buy drinks and they buy all these kinds of things. Yeah, so um, just for anyone out there that's thinking, oh, if I'm thinking about someone else, how am I going to make money? It also sounds like maybe more like a like a, a strategy that is also thinking about the long run, like the longevity is retention and uh, building that loyalty with the fans, like you said, Julia. And uh, then although you might decrease the price, they might become a loyal fan because of that and they will come to more games and in the long run you will have a loyal fan so it's a it's a very very um interesting strategy yeah absolutely i, I agree with everything that you just said patricia but julia before you can sell tickets you need to ensure that you have a great event right how can sports organizations make sure that they're creating the best event especially in light of what you just said that we're competing not just with other clubs or other leagues or federations but rather with anything that a supporter might be tempted to spend their time money and efforts on so how can how can organizations sports organizations make sure that they create the best events that will get supporters wanting to buy the tickets I'm gonna start with 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 the with the staff and the organization. I think if you want to have a great event, you need to make sure you have the best people, and and the best people are not necessarily the the 
I mean, everybody's good, you know, if they want to be. But I think you need to make sure that all the key people in your organization are motivated, are working together with the same purpose. And then that is going to be maybe, I don't know if I talk in percentage, maybe 80% of the success comes from the people that are behind an event. Because when you're doing a big event, like a World Cup or an European Championship or, or an Olympics, this is a group of people that is going to get together for a short period of time one, two, three, four years, and maybe never see each other again, and they're they're gonna move on. So you may you need to make sure that they're it's a family, that they're a family, and that they work together to create the event, the best event possible, right? So I, I'm gonna say people is very important, and then of course I I think we always imagine that if you have a lot of money, you're gonna be able to do a lot more. But I think you can do simple things. Now, before I was talking about fans, and I think you can create great fan experiences that are not that are not expensive, and and that create an impact. So I think it's it's more of being creative, knowing what your limits are, and with the limits that you have, just just trying to have everything be very organized, nice, and definitely for me. And and this is. This is my motto. Uh, my other motto is fans always come first and you always have to make your decisions thinking about about your fans because at the end, they are the ones that are going to give you the success story afterwards, right? Definitely. Wow, you are an inspirational person indeed, Julia. And uh, this is evident. So uh, to a woman who might be listening to this podcast and find you inspirational, Maybe she also wants to um, be in the sports industry, but she doesn't know how to start. What advice would you give to her? She might also be in the sports industry already, but she doesn't know how to take that next step. I would definitely say that that you have to not give up when things uh, look tough, because, of course, there's not that many women in the sports industry. So. I mean, there's a lot of women because it's a huge industry, right? But it's we're not uh, near as many as men are. I think that they don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid if we have to work harder to achieve the same that men maybe achieve working a little bit less. Because at, at the end of the day, we're, we're paving the way. There's going to come uh, a moment, I hope, when there's so many women that we don't have to work as hard to get to the top, right? So, I, of course, I think right now we're we're creating, uh, we're still creating the road, uh, and this is something we need to understand now. So, any frustrations that we have today uh, are probably gonna be a success story for the generations to come. So, something that I that I that I try to do, um, and and of course I, I've had a male interns as well uh, and male workers but i try i try to focus a lot on of getting women in my team because i i try to help them out and and be a mentor and and try to get them where they want to be and i and i think it's easier if if they can have my example and if i can mentor them and take care of them so this is something that i do as a woman i i try to help the other women as well right um and, and stop thinking women might be competition or this. I, I don't want to go there. I just want to try to help out so it will be easier in the future. So 
my advice would be work hard, don't be frustrated and, and, and own it. I mean, if we own it, it's, it's going to be ours for sure. And maybe if we just flip the script a little bit and maybe address the men, and you just mentioned that you've had male um, interns, but what about men? You know, we had um, a guest, Robert Villaham, and he is a, a coach uh, for a sports, uh, women's sports club, uh, football to be specific, and he works with children as well. And he was mentioning that he really takes it upon himself to ensure that he educates men as well to make sure that they are allies, you know, because we can't really do it by ourselves. We're only 50% of the population. So we need men to kind of chip in as well. Would you have any sort of off the cuff advice to men on how they can support women a bit better and how they can really be allies to make sure that we are moving the sports industry in the right direction, especially for the coming generations, just as you mentioned? Well, I think it's it's kind of it's it's a similar advice, but as you say, flipping it uh, to the other side. I think it's respect women, give them their value, uh, and when it comes to women, women athletes, go to the games, give them the same value as a as an athlete that you give a man. If it's a TV, uh, if it's on TV, watch watch it. I mean. Women's sports are, is amazing, and, and many people don't even know it. We, we don't watch it, so we need to watch it, right? And, of course, if you're working at a club, maybe stand up for, for the women uh, and go to the president and tell them, listen, out of this huge budget that you have for the men's team, why don't this percentage you move to the women's? And we're going to try to use it properly to demonstrate to you that it's worth it, right? So I think, I mean, this is an effort for that where everybody has to participate. As you say, Lorraine, if if we, if men don't help out, it's it's never gonna work. But yeah, I think that would be my advice: uh, respect, value, and and give us uh, give us our place, right? Absolutely perfect, Julia. Thank you so much for sitting down with us and having this conversation with us. And to any of our listeners that are tuning in right now, you can connect with Julia via LinkedIn and we will put all the information in the description box down below. So make sure that you get in contact with her and to all the sports clubs and leagues and all sports organizations, make sure that you connect with Julia as well, because she has such incredible information that she can share with you on ticketing and on event management. Julia, thank you so much for taking the time out to sit with us. Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you, Patricia. It has it has been great. Hopefully, uh, some of our listeners will connect with me through LinkedIn. I, I always like to be in touch with people and, and, and share experiences. So that's going to be great. And thank you for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure to be here. I am very excited to be able to be part of, of your podcast. It's been a delight. Thank you so much. If your goal is to deliver a world-class supporter experience at every game and you want to know how you can meet that goal and get started today, then visit our website at datatalks.sc and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Or you can sign up for our masterclass or email list to get exclusive materials such as ebooks and case studies that will help you meet your goals better. Until next time, stay productive. Data Talks, we fill the stadium, you focus on the game.